0: Well, good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. It's printed that we will go through 19. I'm going to read verse 28 through 20. Um, And you can find that text if you're using the Pew Bible on page 857. As you turn there, I'll remind you that our Advent theme or series is on comfort. And this text uh, may be fairly familiar to you. Um, I remember... Probably hearing this text before I knew how to read with a, a towel on my head and a stick in my hand. And maybe you've had children who have had to wear towels on their head being, and act like shepherds as well. Um, but this is a passage that describes great comfort, comfort from our great God and King. And for our little theologians, uh, if you would uh, like to draw a, a picture, uh, I'd encourage you to draw a picture of a light. A light that shines on a very messy room. I know none of you have any experience with that. (laughs) But if you want to know what a messy room looks like, you can come by my office after the service and I'll show you all about a messy room. But a light that illuminates a messy room. Let's hear God's word from Luke chapter 2. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for how it brings comfort in the face of even our greatest fears. We thank you for how you open our eyes to know you and to hear you. And we ask that you would take your word and remind and challenge us with your truth. May it be formative in our hearts and lives. For Lord, we deeply desire that your word would have a greater influence in shaping our life than anything else we encounter this week. So we look to you to guide and direct us now, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we live in a I want world. December for me kind of typifies this attitude of an I want world. It seems like constantly I'm hearing from my kids, I want, I want, I want. And you can fill in the blank with a plethora of toys and candy and and, uh, parties. I want. And Amazon has been very uh, helpful, unhelpful with this. Recently, I got a a catalog in the mail from Amazon. It had page after page of toys. No price tags or costs on them, just the toy. And suddenly, it was ripped out of my hands. It went through all four of my kids. And uh, those who aren't normally very organized have learned how to highlight and circle and tag and, you know, get out post-it notes and 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 my four-year-old is an organizational genius, and she can't even count to ten, but she knows what page 42 is. Um, We live in an I want world. Um, And it it isn't just December, right? I mean, December may typify it, but, but we live with all sorts of desires in our lives. Once, even beyond Christmas as we look to New Year's. Most of us, for adults, we're we're thinking about I want statements in a a little different way. We think of them in forms of of resolutions. Uh, I want to lose more weight. I want to read more. Uh, I want to learn a new skill. And we all uh, deeply know that we need to be changed. And it's uh, it's it's a resolution that we try very hard to bring about. That if you're anything like me, lasts about a week maybe two and then we're back to our normal routines and then beyond our resolutions there are deep desires of our hearts that long from the great weariness and heartache of living in a world that's filled with sin and death we're weary weary from pains and aches in our bodies from jobs that take us away from our families or the search for a stable job. Many of us carry regrets in our lives of decisions that we made long ago, or we don't see the joy in our hearts as we once had, or we long for deeper, more meaningful connections, or we mourn the loss of a loved one who we dearly miss. Behind every human heart, is a longing, a need for lasting comfort. In our passage this morning, the Lord God provides great comfort. He turns terrifying, crippling fear into comfort. And this comfort is ultimately found in the deep life-changing grace that permeates every fiber of our identities by his bringing of light into our world of darkness. Transferring us from a world of despair, of grief, of shame, of guilt, of sin, and of death into a kingdom of his beloved Son. It is our King, the Christ, who brings light and lasting comfort into the darkness. How do we see that in this passage in Luke 2? I'll propose three ways, three points. First, the Lord brings comfort to the lowly. Second, the Lord brings comfort through his message. And lastly, the Lord brings comfort through his love. Let's look at the first one. The Lord brings comfort to the lowly. If you look in verse 8, you can see that this is the same region, uh, the birth that's occurred preceding this section. Uh, It's the same region where the shepherds out in a field are keeping watch over their flock by night. Well, it records that it's the region near Bethlehem and that these shepherds were out doing their job serving, serving their probably flock owners. And we've romanticized this understanding of shepherds. Uh, we honor them in plays and in children's stories and in manger scenes. And uh, they were likely not very honored men of the day. Uh, they were... Probably not the flock owners, as I just said, and they were probably watching sheep as not a very profitable profession, something that they probably had to do rather than something that they worked hard towards or wanted, Uh, and it was likely a boring job because they weren't actively taking the sheep around to feed them. This was at night, and so they may have been guards uh, or they may have been uh, during a season like a lambing season uh, where they were having to give extra attention to the sheep. And there are thoughts uh, in, in ancient writings about how shepherds, um, shepherds in that day and age were probably uh, despised. Uh, some were, were treated in such a way that their testimony wasn't uh, held in a court of law because they watched sheep at night and, and sheep would disappear or transfer into other shepherds' flocks. And, and so they had a reputation about them, uh, perhaps, uh, that they weren't that reputable. But we don't see anything in this text to state that these were despised men or, uh, or that these may have been associated with, with a group like liars or thieves. They weren't a very highly thought of group, though. And they certainly weren't a group that we would expect to receive the great birth announcement of the King of Kings. They weren't the scribes or the Pharisees. They weren't the chief priests or the aristocracy of the day. And yet, this group is important. They are important not because of worldly greatness, but of heavenly greatness, because the Lord of lords chooses to set his great birth announcement to this group. Remember what God's word said to Samuel in First Samuel 16. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearances, but the Lord looks on the heart. How do we gain comfort from knowing God's choice in this audience, this lowly, uh, 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 this lowly profession and group? Well, God cho- chooses the lowly, the needy, the dependent to shower his blessing upon. Those who know they need grace are not defined by their own greatness. They're not defined by their strength or their wealth or their prestige. They know that they can find a greatness only in the love of God coming to them. God's favor. Ligan Duncan, who is a PCA pastor, professor, he states that, that when, a church, when we take in a PCA our church membership vows, especially the first one, one of the things we're acknowledging is that we're sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure. And without hope, save of his sovereign mercy. And Pastor Duncan's point is this, that there can really be no good people, no good in and of ourselves people in the church. By even our own admission and membership vows, we are dependent, desperate people who can't stand in the presence of a holy one on our own. We're all the same in that way, in need of mercy, in need of grace. And it's to those who are needy that God brings his message. It's being lowly and desperate that's the starting point for receiving mercy and grace. Because there's nothing special that the world can see in these shepherds. But they're loved. And being loved by God is the beginning of real and lasting comfort. How else do we see comfort in this passage? We see that the Lord brings comfort through his message. Now the Lord wants to make known his joy. The joy of his message and his work to the people. And we know there's a coming host of angels, as we've read, that are about to appear. But at first in verse 9, only one angel appears. We don't know if this is Gabriel, by the way. He's not designated in any particular way, the one who appeared to Mary earlier. But he's a single angel, and the glory of the Lord's presence radiates all around the shepherds. And the text actually says that the shepherds, they feared fear, uh, very greatly terrified. Uh, it, it's a repeated word in the Greek, the, the verb to fear and the noun fear put together. They feared fear. They were terrified by this single angel who appears And the glory that's around him. Now, what were they afraid of? Now, it could be that they were shocked by seeing an angel in the middle of night and unexpectedly. But the preceding section, the preceding before they they talks about their fear, is the statement that the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is the same glory that radiated from the face of Moses in Exodus chapter 34. When Moses had been talking to God. It was the glory that terrified the Israelites to come near Moses and that Moses had to wear a veil so that they could speak to him. Why was it terrifying? Was it Moses who was terrifying? No, of course not. It was the glory of God that was made known through Moses and that glory outshines the darkness that we know so well. The angel of the Lord shone with the same glory. The glory that comes from God. The glory of the Lord that is terrifying for sinners. Whose eyes are accustomed to darkness. It isn't initially comforting. It's terrifying. And we're sadly so used to darkness in our world. We resist the light. And we'd rather hide in darkness. Even though the darkness is a very unsatisfying comfort. And yet the angel brings a message to the shepherds he actually speaks a command. Fear not. He says, fear not. He commands them simply so that they'll be able to hear the next, the next part of his message, the message of the gospel. In verse 10, the words good news here, they translate, it's how we translate the word gospel. Gospel. But good news is it's a little too broad. It's a, a little too limited of scope to understand what the real meaning of these words truly is. Because what it really means is victorious news. The gospel wasn't simply nice or pleasant thoughts it was the battle celebration of victory. You see, in the ancient world, when a king would go off to battle, and the town would wonder, has our king won? The messenger would come back with the good news, the victory of the king's triumph over the enemies. And the angel shares that, that with, the, with the shepherds in this, in this verse, that the battle has been won that the victory has come and it's for all people, for the entire world because one has come into this world. One has been born who is Christ the Lord. Triumph because of a birth. And before the shepherds can even respond, the soul angel's message becomes a chorus. Notice here the grace of the Lord who only sends one angel at first in verse 9, even though there is a myriad of angels that appear around them in verse 13. These angels are not described as a beautiful chorus of, of singers. In fact, when we think about this text, it's only a little bit of reference for potential singing. It's not really a, a, a passage that, that the angels are singing in, as so much perhaps chanting and praising God in. And this is the heavenly army that's, that shows up it's a whole host of soldiers who were battle ready to announce the arrival of the king. It's a similar image to Second Kings six, where Elijah prays for the young man who would see the heavenly hosts surround him. How kind of the Lord not to initially overwhelm these shepherds with this army. But the chorus of praise goes out, and it's beautiful in its message look with me in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The text puts them a little out of order as how the message comes in the Greek. It says glory in the highest places to God. In other words, may there be God's glory in the very highest stretches, the greatest places of existence. Why? Because God has initiated peace on the earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now this is odd language as well. It's awkward to read. The angels are stating something actually very profound. They're declaring that peace has originated with the favor of God, not with the desires of men, not with the intention of of man desiring it even. It's the the declaration that provides the original message of the gospel of the angel. You see, the first angel speaks of this gospel, the victory, and declares that this king has come to save, and yet what he doesn't say is what they've been saved from. Yet here in this chorus, we hear that the peace has come to earth, and goodwill, favor of God has come. It's been initiated by our Heavenly Father, and it is the cry that we will be saved by a great Savior, a liberator, and that is a liberation from ourselves. It's peace to man on earth. The implication of the message is that salvation is coming to save us from ourselves. From sin itself. You see, the Lord provides our comfort to our greatest of needs. In the arrival of the angels and his message in the world. It is terrifying for us to encounter the glory of the Lord. God's holiness shines truth on every area of our lives, even the places that are hard for us to look at. We don't like having truth shown upon who we are and what we've done. It's painful. It's hard to hear friends sharing about unhealthy patterns in my life. I want to hide or minimize or even justify it. Painful. Or I want to make spiritual resolutions to try and fix myself, to work harder, to try better, to recommit myself. But you see, our comfort isn't in ourselves, it's not in fixing ourselves up. The comfort has to come from God, from His declaration of grace and peace that brings forgiveness only through the atoning work of this Christ who has been born. Robert Louis Stevenson, he tells of a story of a terrifying storm, of a ship that is caught off a rocky coast and threatened uh, to be driven into the rocks and to, de- to be destroyed. And in the midst of the panic, everybody has been called down under, uh, into the lower portions of the ship. And one man rushes out Defying orders, moves through the deck into the pilot's room, and he sees a steerman at his post, faithfully holding the wheel unwaveringly, and inch by inch turning the ship out more to sea. And the pilot sees the man who came in and he smiles. And the daring man went back below and gave out a great cheer. I've seen the face of the pilot, and he smiled all is well. You see, when lives are filled with the chaotic storms, when we're filled filled with the sorrows of life, the temporal and fading peace that we try and muster will not satisfy us. We must look to one who will stand firm, who will be our protection, who will be our rock. And that is the message of the gospel through this Christ. Christ. The great declaration that he brings comfort and lasting peace. It's the Lord who makes us well. We see this in a third way in the passage. We see that the Lord brings comfort through his love. As the angels depart, the shepherds immediately leave their flocks. Their livelihood, their jobs, they just leave them there and they go to find this sign You see, they respond in faith and they go because the Lord's message far outweighs their jobs and their reputations. And they find Mary and Joseph in the strangest of sights. They find the king lying in a manger. Here lies the king of that heavenly host that just declared peace to you. And he's lying in a manger. This is the love of God on display. For as the angels are crying out, glory to God in the highest, the sign that the Lord God shows is that he has set his glory aside. He's become little, vulnerable. The light of the world has stepped into darkness. Darkness. This is the one to whom Paul writes about For by him all things were made, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And there's no house, no inn, no room, there's a manger. He himself has arrived in a state of humility, of lowliness, in love, to bring comfort to us. Isaiah gives us even additional clarity on what he came to do. He came to be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You see, the love of God identifies with our sorrows, with your grief, with your weariness, with your regrets, your shame. He knows it completely and he doesn't run from it or ignore it. He moves towards it. He steps into it, embracing your suffering, bearing it ultimately on himself, in his body, even unto death, death on a cross. And what he tells us is that a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not blow out. The one who has conquered death promises that our sorrows are not the end for us. With the Lord, there is hope of complete restoration. An undoing of all that is wrong and broken in the world. It is a kingdom of everlasting peace. Simply because of his love towards us. And even more, we see a change that takes place in the lives of these shepherds. They aren't disappointed when they see the lowliest state of their king. In fact, quite the opposite. They can't contain the message that they've heard. If you look in verses 17 and 18, it says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had, been, had told them. You see, the Lord's love changes the lives of these shepherds. The, the shepherds They've become the first evangelists of the Christ, proclaiming his arrival and of the gospel that he's brought into the world. And we're told that Mary, in verse 19, she responds in two ways. She first treasures the message in her heart, but she doesn't understand it. She's confused by it. That's what this word pondering means. It refers to almost a dialogue you're having in your mind. She didn't fully understand. She trusted in it. She treasured it. She held fast to it. But she still wrestled with it. And sometimes this is our walk of faith. Sometimes we treasure and hold fast to God's word. And yet we have to ponder it. We have to dwell on what it means in the midst of our sorrows. To know that there's a good God who cares for us. Other times we become like the shepherds in verse 20 who are now resembling the angels glorifying and praising God. And in knowing that love of, God, of our Lord we look to him as well. For he's accomplished that which what we, we could not. He stepped into our world. But he has given us a way of, of seeing a new way of seeing our lives. Casting aside our glory, becoming little for the sake of his gospel, dying unto self, that Christ might be made known and seen in our midst. So that even when the light of God's truth shines on us, we don't hide from our mess. You see, When the light enters into our lives the world is not always going to see a well put together house. But it will see a hope that is no longer defined by our sorrows or our fear or our insecurities or our sin. Because we take comfort from our king whose message is victory over sin and death and whose work is this lasting love that culminates in our peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to entrust our lives, our fears, our sorrows to you, knowing that it is to you that you turn mourning into dancing. Help us to see your faithful love this Advent season that, bring, that will bring lasting comfort from your message of peace your great work of love. Help us to even sing with joy that God and sinners have been reconciled. We thank you for your immeasurable love. May we continue to know more of it and testify to it this Advent season. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.